Thursday theology. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy. Thursday Theology. We are chilling. We are ready to do this. Uh, we are still hanging out in my office and uh, we're trying to get as many of these things recorded as possible while we're uh, hanging out in the same place. So Thursday Theology, we've hinted at what we're talking about already. If you are interested, we just had a little chat about um, Joshua Harris and the debacle there um, in the previous episode. So go check that out. Um, also, just to... Um, let you know just um I, I realize i don't do this enough um and i was scolded for it by joe and jimmy uh they they're just like i don't have an intro i don't have an outro i don't people don't know who i am so i'm like okay well whatever no, i don't really care keep about it real we don't can don't don't be like well we just i just want them to know who you are because i think there is some value in that hey, well, what someone recommends a, a podcast and you go check it out, and you don't know who. You, it helps me to know. Okay, this is who this guy is, and I hate trolling. Two ex druggies. Yeah, that's two true. South Africans. Two South Africans. Two um, Reformed Baptist pastors. Two Reformed Baptist pastors. Two bold men with beards. There's a lot of good names there. <laughs> for a lot. Um, so yeah, I mean, and and we're both in New Zealand, and uh, we have been good friends for since I don't nine know, years nine years totally um just hanging out uh with the reformed baptists and um and uh yeah so just it's uh nick is the guy yeah. i'm having all my theological yeah. talks with so we thought hey one day let's let's let's, let's confessional put this, cousins confessional cousins nice and let's put that on podcast is Bapt- what we thought baptist to ourselves bros. baptist bros you can tell he's a baptist because <laughs> of these alliterations coming at me um but uh yeah so look um, we, we've started talking about um, Joshua Harris, and that kind of led into an interesting question on church discipline, yeah. which is what we want to think a little bit more about, um, yeah. and then some more. Yeah. So, I mean, I raised the question at the meeting today, the FRBCNZ, and uh, one aspect of the question I raised was, um, what happens when church discipline happens? There's just a verse that you know sticks out to me, which is worth reading. I'll read it from 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 4 and 5, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. And just to remind you, this is a immature church. This is a church that's full of all sorts of troubles. They're troubled over the Lord's Supper. They've got divisions after following the uh, various parties of men, uh, spiritual gifts. Yet they're called to this high responsibility of church discipline, even though they're not that mature. And uh, here is a here is a man who is sleeping with his stepmother, mm. uh, which is a sin which is... <laughs> Even in even amongst the pagans, it's it's uh, it's a bad sin, and so Paul calls this church to do their duty, which is uh, and so in one way it's a great commentary on Matthew eighteen, um, but the the, yeah. the point I wanted to reference was um, let's just read from verse three to five. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Hmm. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus. And my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And so the question I've got is this. What does it mean to hand someone over to Satan? So when a church goes through the process of Matthew 18, step one, approach them privately. Step two, get some witnesses. 
Step three, if they still don't listen, take it to the church. Mm. And then, uh, okay, so we've taken it to the church. We've gathered together. We're two or three gathered in the name of the Lord. We're binding and we're loosing. We're not binding them to the, the body through baptism, but we're loosing them from the visible church through church discipline. And this, this process is also called here by Paul, handing over to Satan. What does that look like? What does that look like if we could pull back the curtain on the spiritual realm? Mm. What, what does that mean? Well, just before we pull back the curtain on the spiritual realm, just, just keeping it to tangible sort of things that we know we're going to have to do and go through and whatnot. Yeah. Um, the, um, the, I think that happens, and we'd agree on this, right, when you excommunicate someone. Yeah. That's the point at which whatever Paul is talking about there is taking place. Um, and so, and by excommunicate, just so we're all on the same page, um, we meet, we don't mean not communicate, uh, don't communicate with the person, <laughs> you know, which some people, you know, have as a form of discipline, but we're talking about keeping them from communion. Yeah. They're uh, not communicative men. Right. They don't, totally. they don't partake of the supper. Yeah. And, and look, there are some instances where you stop communicating, uh, mostly to do with false teachers and whatnot, but we'll leave that as a separate instance for now. Um, and you've got this, um, you've got this thing that you're doing. It's very loose. It doesn't feel very spiritual, perhaps. Maybe it feels mm. sad. It feels whatever. It doesn't feel like, you know, anything changes in the, in the heavenly realm in your own uh, understanding of things. But, but the reality is Paul is just saying that when that happens, something crazy is going on. Yeah. But I suppose that leads me to think about what Paul is talking about there. I wonder, just, just so we can start right at the most, let's take the least uh, presumptive approach. And let's just say that Paul... Knowing what he knows yeah. about the theology that he's already set up. So he's not, let's say he's not making a statement that's new at this point. He's just simply saying, right, the, Lord, the God of this world, you know, as we know, yes. is Satan. He's got this world system. Don't love the world. It's passing away the whole thing. Uh, mixed with John there, of course. And, um, and that's just true. That's the thing. We yep. know that already. I'm not adding anything to the theology at that point. I'm just saying what I'm saying. And, um, you know, if you're in that realm, you pretty much are in, you know, you're, you're there. Yes. You know, Not you're, in the kingdom of Christ. Right. You're in the other kingdom. You're in the other kingdom. There's so, only one or two places you can be. Right. And that's not going to end well. Destruction, uh, you know, of your flesh um, uh, certainly has that negative sense to it. Um, but, of course, I mean, so, so what I'm saying is that at that entry level, at very minimum, what he could just simply be saying is, here's, here's a kind of, very forceful and descriptive way of just talking about what we already know to be true. A tax collector and a sinner. Yeah. Defining someone as an unbeliever. There we go. And just doing it in a yeah. very So there's definitely an way. external yeah. element. Just reminding people of yeah. when we say unbeliever and when we say, oh, well, he, he's uh, left the faith or whatever, it, there are severe spiritual consequences to that yeah. without wanting to necessarily create a whole category for what it means to hand someone over to this, you know, I just, I feel a little bit phobic about well, that. Here's, here's where I, here's why I go there. Okay. So let's talk about David. Right. Here was a man who was regenerate. He was a believer. Mm-hmm. He asked for the Lord not to take the Holy Spirit from him. That's probably in reference either to his joy, the joy of his salvation, which is the next verse, or it's in reference to the ministerial anointing as a king. Yeah. But he's not saying, Lord, please don't unregenerate. No. Uh, the theology of scripture doesn't allow for that. Yeah. So, what does it look like when the Lord disciplines a Christian? What does it look like when someone who is his son is not going back to the kingdom of Satan? So mm. you're still a child of God, mm. but you're not being mm. so externally, incredibly, visibly, according mm-hmm. to your confession of faith, you may appear to be someone who's being put in the kingdom. Of Satan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
but spirit, what's happening? Be- what's happening behind the curtain? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So pulling back the curtain, this is what I think this means. Yeah, if, yeah. If, as we dig a little bit deeper into the theology of the scriptures, so we have we have Job as one example, mm-hmm. where the hedges, which is a word that's used around Job's life, mm-hmm. are taken down, as it were. Charismatic. And the Lord, that, yeah. Way. Well, I mean, it's it, yeah. in one sense, it's a spiritual reality that that the devil gets access. Yeah. Under God's sovereignty, mm-hmm. he gets access. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that P- uh, Jesus said to Peter, Satan has asked that he mm-hmm. may sift you as wheat, mm-hmm. but I prayed for you. He doesn't say, but he's not allowed to touch you. Mm-hmm. He said, but I prayed for you. Mm-hmm. And so in one sense, there is a there is a, a moment when the Lord, for the purpose, his good purposes, allows us to be sifted as wheat, mm-hmm. to go through the grinder, to go yeah. through the mill, to be refined as fire, for the purposes of making us pure, etc. Right. Um, so handing over to Satan could be a Christian. Mm. Who is going through a moment of spiritual exposure mm. because of a father who loves them and is using this spiritual process to chasten them mm. in order to restore them to himself? Right. Okay, good. So, with that on the table, I suppose you have an extra layer that is a possibility as well. Yeah. In that you could have something that Paul himself was aware of, that the church itself was aware of, that had to do with a kind of temporal, apostolic kind of judgment. I'm trying to feed it into these words. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Right. So we're not just binding on earth. We're not just, we're not only creating an external visible reality. Mm -hmm. There's something. Mm -hmm. So so does God use the church as a means Mm -hmm. by which he will do something spiritually in the life of someone who's going through church discipline? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and um, I think one way or another, that's true. But just trying to keep to, to the possibilities for this text. I mean, you've got like, and this is what I don't want to ignore it. I don't want to say this is the definitive thing. But I just, um, you know, it seems like they're always whenever you have anything kind of a little bit obscure in Paul's writing to do with and just being aware that, you know, people were struck down dead in the church with yeah. apostles present. And you had a couple of you know, anomaly events take place that obviously make sense theologically, but they make sense theologically in terms of the uniqueness of the situation. So they just what I, it makes me a little bit nervous about that text, right? And I'm not, I don't I don't I kind of joked with you earlier that you know I think this was an apostolic thing only. <laughs> John Gill. But, but yeah, I mean the thing is, you know, I think that there at least needs to be a tentativeness that we bring yes. to the, you know, there is, some, it seems that Paul is so confident that he knows exactly what he's talking about. He's almost presuming that they know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Like perhaps something has even happened that they are all, are all aware of. And uh, perhaps it has something to do with a particular apostolic judgment with a particular event. And maybe there's, maybe that just means that we wouldn't normally use that language to speak of what we would be able to do confidently to someone else, you know? Yeah. But insofar as we're blending that or at least letting that be an expression of things that we know happen, you know, the God of this world, you know, God disciplines those he loves, um, you know, all those big theological truths, as, as surely as we'd see that express those things, fine, yes. you know? I guess I'm, uh, I'm a lot more comfortable with the way it's been used historically. So I know that John Gill, his church didn't subscribe to the 1689. And he said at this point that um, this particular verse, the handing over to Satan, was unique to the apostolic era. Mm -hmm. So the apostles had this power on call, as it were. Mm -hmm. And it goes together with keys in the kingdom again. It does. But then I I guess where I'm willing to go with it is where the the 1689, which has used this as a proof text, talk Mm -hmm. about the regular action of church discipline as a handing over to Satan. Mm. 
So mm. I'm 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 grouping myself with. with I, that I wonder if we could use a triperspectival triangle to sort this out. I think we could. <laughs> have you ever seen? Um, have you ever seen uh, Vern Poitras's creating place for the spiritual gifts in a cessationist I framework? Have. Now take that rubric. Okay, you know that he does the triangle and he yep. basically uses you know. Um, if, if just Google it, guys. If you haven't seen this, but it's really worth a read. In that he essentially says, right, well you've got this big analogy going on. Yeah, I like it. Apostles I, I, I think it works for what we're saying. Yeah, totally. So at that level, it's like fine. You know, there was something unique, but there is something analogous yes. that continues. And we're as long as we're making that distinction, then we're getting all our, our, our normative principles yes. from all of the normative scriptures rather than clinging into some weird area. Yeah, I guess I guess yeah. what you're worried about is we are overstepping the bounds and we we presume to be an apostle who can pronounce like a pope like judgment on someone. Totally. Yeah, yeah, which they could do. And exactly. I think sometimes with all the charismatic stuff and everything, people don't give that enough weight. See, here's, yeah. here's and, and now bringing Protestant theology and not Roman Catholic yeah. theology into it. Here are a couple of important, you know, qualifications. Yeah. Let's say a church wrongly disciplines someone. Let's say a church yeah. in ignorance or error mm-hmm. or just because of sin mm-hmm. uh, facilitates a church disciplinary hearing for someone, hands them over to Satan. Mm-hmm. The question I, I would ask is, are they handed over to Satan if it's an illegitimate case? And my answer is no, because mm-hmm. the church doesn't have that no. power. A lot of Protestantism. A- amen. Good. So, yeah. I mean, when, when it says, you know, whoever you forgive is forgiven or whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, mm-hmm. the, the Roman Catholics would say that the Pope has the key, which closes the door to heaven yeah. and he, he can call an interdict yeah. and he can call for no marriages. And so if you if you go through the ceremony, it's not a marriage because heaven's closed. Yeah. And uh, you know, if you, if you die, you're not going to go to heaven because heaven's closed. Yeah. Yeah. So this was the way yeah. the Pope used to exercise the power. So earth determines what happens in heaven. Mm. As Protestants, this is where we understand it that whenever we do things according to God's word, and as Baptists, as we would, whenever we deal with someone according to their external confession, mm. we understand that if yeah. we are following the Lord's will as it's revealed in yeah. the Word. Yeah. That this is something that's already happening in heaven, and God is going to use the church as His means through which right. He brings about the spiritual results that He has seen. Right, and, and essentially, what we're doing there is we're saying, in an apostolic sense, had a unique thing going on. Yep, they were exactly. able to be the apostolic legates and representatives. So they had an inerrant quality to yeah. their to their to their process. And all we're doing is we're saying, insofar as we bear out what they've already revealed and what yep. what is yep, what is uh, for, there for us in canon. Uh, we're able to, you know, we're acting in accordance with that. Therefore, with that authority, if we're right, and only the if Lord we're knows. Right. Amen. But, but it's and we can err, and that's yeah. important. Yeah, that's. And fine. here's the, here's the other thing. Do you think that a uh, a true Christian who's truly regenerate, who's been elect from the foundations of the earth, could be put under church discipline? Absolutely. Of course they can. Yeah. So although they are considered to be a tax collector, considered to be a gentile, considered to be in the kingdom of Satan. Mm-hmm. They could still be technically mm-hmm. regenerate and in the Lord, though, in a place of non-repentance. Mm. Yeah. And we believe that church discipline is the God-appointed means by which they will be restored. Mm. The ordinary mm. means. Mm. God does all, you know, he saves people in all sorts of ways apart from the church. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the most common ways through the preaching of the word in the church. Mm. And likewise, with restoration from being backslidden, we anticipate that church discipline has been appointed by God as an ordinary means of restoration. Might also be uh, worthwhile pointing out. I, I honestly hadn't even considered this, um, but I know a lot of viewers and listeners uh, of this um, this podcast uh, are in the states, and um, it, it just honestly isn't a big thing I've come across. But but discipline itself, 
uh, we, we're talking about church discipline being essentially that final moment, right? Or yes. things leading up to that final moment. Um, but really what we're looking at there is the congregation is involved, not yeah. not just the elders. Step three, not step one. Yeah, exactly. And, the, and um, there are others who say that from the pro, from the moment of step one, it's now under the umbrella of church discipline. Of church discipline. And, and depending how you define it, it's legitimate. Yes. Uh, and, and usually is coupled with the eldership rule kind of concept. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So just to just to keep in mind for whatever worth that is, just to, when we're talking about it, we're more thinking of step three. Step three, um, yeah. And and um, where the congregation is involved. Well, yeah. yeah. When when the final judicial action takes place. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, there, there are some thoughts, you know, and um, obviously much more to say about this. We actually had a great discussion at the um, at our meeting, um, our Reformed Baptist meeting. Uh, one of the things, maybe just in terms of this umbrella thinking about uh, church discipline, you know, we are Protestant. And um, I, I, I just shared this morning uh, that one of the things that I found so liberating and um and it doesn't take too long to figure out that this is a thing when you're planning a church or pastoring a church or even part of a church, um, that if you want to try and be biblical at any any measure with church discipline, um, people are not going to stay and put up with it. They're going to leave. Mm, and, often and, happens. Yeah, often. I mean, very. I mean, in my we've had a few instances, and uh, I say a few, more than a few, but but you know, at at the end of the day, it would be very rare for that person to go through the whole thing and you know usually they don't even give it a chance they leave and so it's very discouraging as a pastor as churches mm. in that you're trying to be biblical about it um people have covenanted to go through that process even as members um and yet they just treat treat that whole thing well if you think about the josh harris thing i mean when they've said goodbye it's like well you know they're, they're not sticking <laughs> around they don't care and maybe josh harris is a bad example and well he would be an apostate not a confessing right, believer right, right. so he wouldn't have, yeah he wouldn't qualify but if he had uh you know perhaps played around with the faith a little bit more yes, and definitely. professed to be a believer perhaps that's more what then i'm the thinking the church of his membership would have to step in they'd have to step in and um and you know usually they don't stay around they usually off they go so now the thing is they go down the road 10 minutes 20 minutes 30 minutes depending on what they can feel comfortable with and yeah. it's very frustrating because you think okay well have roman catholics got it right do we actually have we missed is it is it only possible to do church discipline as it was done for the first thousand years or or is there a way to actually go about this process as protestants and then you realize you actually got the whole thing upside down in that as Protestants, they can own the church can only look one way. Uh, it can look. It can only really take its expression in the form of local church and denominations and networks. The visible expression of the, church. the vi- visible expression, exactly. And you know, at, at that level, you're going to have you know whatever the interdenominational structures look like, ecclesiological structures. Fine, they they can wrestle it out, but. Um, it wasn't meant to look anything different. It wasn't meant to look like with one Pope and one worldwide church. No. And that's not what unity is. So whatever that's uniformity. Church, that's uniformity. And that's, yeah, if anything, it's usually on the road to something bad. The The, the bottom line with um, mission and nations and different expressions and cultural um, pieces there is that you're going to have a massively diverse scenario um, hugely um, decentralized in many ways, except each local church has what it needs or denomination, if we want to be super gracious about this, denomination has what it needs to uh, do its own thing. And even that, when when someone runs, and this plays into what we started off saying, yeah. when someone runs, that's where the hand it over to Satan. Yeah. I mean, Satan's not gone anywhere. 
Jesus is not God anywhere. Mm. The church is still the church invisibly. Amen. You can't run from that. Exactly. And, uh, you know, the fine, you know, you're getting the bread and you're getting the wine from somewhere else, but it's not about the bread and wine at that level. It's about Just uh, maybe represent. going a little bit deeper into the nature of our discussion this afternoon, um, I raised the issue of non-members and church discipline. Mm. So here we have the difficult scenario of people who haven't covenanted with our local church, mm -hmm. who are not making themselves accountable, and who run out the door whenever we try and uh, confront them mm. as we try to be faithful as shepherds. Mm. And what is our confidence then? Our confidence isn't the fact that you know, they, they were members and we were able to go through a process, but the fact that despite the, that we can't use the ordinary means of the local church administering discipline to bring them to a place of restoration and repentance, mm. the Lord, because he is a faithful father, will chasten his children. Mm. And so although we, we haven't been able to use the ordinary means of restoring them, we, we can't kid ourselves. Um, and the person who is running away from discipline can't kid themselves. The Lord is a faithful father, and he chastens those whom he loves. Mm. He ordinarily does that through the local church, mm -hmm. through church discipline. But if people are avoiding that or they're not in a context where they can happen, mm -hmm. good news, God chastens those, God chases those yeah. whom he loves. Totally. So hopefully that's, I don't know, just think, well, why would be encouraging is sometimes, you know, when, so when someone was a Christian and has uh, fallen into sin and has gone through church discipline and has fled, yeah. a lot of people are, they love that person. They love that believer. Amen. And it's the, the, the real torture is not often, it's not so much that they fled, it's that now they're not going through the process and the yeah. process is meant to be grace to them to bring them back. And now we feel like we've lost all hope because what, what do we have left? Well, the hope there is we have, it's very much in process still. Mm. And okay, fine. It's out of the hands of that local expression, but not invisibly. Well, Paul's curtain has been pulled back. Yeah. God is still, still sanctifying. us. He's still keeping us. He's still doing his work. refining yeah. us. And we can trust that if that, if that person, indeed was regenerate it will work it will work it, you know it might not be you know yeah. without its pain and god's not squeamish like that well they put it this way they'll get to heaven yeah. though they might not get back to the church yeah that's true that's a good way of putting it. yeah at its most extreme form there we go unfortunately and there are a lot of disenfranchised christians that way yeah some who may be legitimately or illegitimately the victims of uh church discipline mm. or the recipients of church discipline rather mm. Mm. um and yes, we may we may be surprised to see who will eventually mm. be with us mm. with, uh, in heaven. Amen. Well, that gives me a little bit of hope. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, again, it sort of terrifies me, you know, in that, yeah, there is, once you, a covenanted member with Christ, yeah. that's not something you can just throw away like a doctor's no. appointment. It, it, and I think, you know, this is what I try and help people to see is the elder's perspective. We have to deal with you according to your credible confession. Yeah. Oh, you confess to be a Christian? Well, I'll test that confession. That's a credible confession. Let's baptize you. Mm -hmm. We'll add you to the membership of the church. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're living a life that proves that you are, well, that seems to be denying your confession of Christ. Mm -hmm. He's not the Lord of your life. You're not obeying his law and you're not receptive to the overtures of the church. Mm. Well, we have no other, we don't know your heart. And we, we have to draw the conclusion that you're probably not a, not a Christian, although you may still be. Mm. And so every Christian needs to realize the fallibility of the local church. Mm. And that it's it's their love and it's their faithfulness mm. uh, in which they're seeking to pursue these things. We hope. Mm. I mean, there are some churches who just mm. bully and spiritually abuse yeah, yeah. and who get on their high it. horse yeah. and who are self righteous, and that is sinful. Yeah. They'll have to give an account to God for the way they shepherd the flock. Mm. But um, 
I know that at least in our instances, we're trying our hardest to do the best that we can. Yeah. We're not infallible. We can't read the heart. We can mm. only deal with people according to their cre- the credible confession. Because mm. mm. the local church is defined on the basis of a credible confession, mm. not our knowledge of your election. Mm. And that's very important. That's, part, that's a, a vital aspect of Baptist ecclesiology. Mm. Amen. All right. So stop messing around with that Presbyterianism. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, we'll leave it at that. Thursday Theology. Uh, uh, well, you know, stay with us right now. You can go to sleep and do whatever you need to do. But come back tomorrow because we're going to be going with some philosophy on Philosophy Friday. Mm, evolution. And, uh, oh, evolution. Nice. Yeah, there was a lot that we spoke about last week that I'm keen to get into. All right, so stay with us tomorrow or come back to us tomorrow and uh, we'll talk to you then. Bless you. Bless you.